Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Coco Express, part of the Blog Talk Radio Network. Your host on the Coco Express is Aurelia Lyles. She's all about keeping it real. Great guests, interesting topics, so get on board. Listen, learn, live. Good afternoon and welcome to the Cocoa Express show for Saturday, March 15, 2014. I'm your wonderful, amazing host uh, for today. Today we're going to do a rebroadcast of a show that we did some time ago in 2010. And it doesn't seem like that many years has passed by, you know, since we've been doing this, but that much time and more has passed by. And I wanted to sh- share this particular interview with you because this woman is amazing. I mean, completely amazing. There's, I, I have so many other words that I can use to, to describe her, but I would prefer to just replay the interview we had with her back then and let you experience what we experienced when we encountered the opportunity to talk to her about a book that she wrote called The Cycle of Hope and her other endeavors. So please allow me the opportunity to bring to you our rebroadcast of August 2010. Love Talk Radio. Welcome to the Coco Express, part of the Blog Talk Radio Network. Your host on the Coco Express is Aurelia Lyles. She's all about keeping it real. Great guests, interesting topics. So get on board. Listen, learn, live. Welcome to the Cocoa Express Show for Saturday, August 7, 2010. I'm your host, Aurelia Lyles, and we are live. I know this is not our normal scheduled time for the show. However, we have a wonderful guest today whose inspirational story was something I wanted to make sure you were able to hear. I titled the show, No Excuses, Overcoming Adversity. As we enter into the discussion, the title will be made clear. However, when I was getting prepared um, to do the show and gathering information, uh, what came to mind for me was William Shakespeare's um, soliloquy in Hamlet, To Be or Not to Be. Uh, you know how it goes, to be or not to be, that is the question, whether it is noble in the mind to suffer the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune or to take arm against the sea of troubles and by opposing end them. I truly believe that this soliloquy is about that being human and the human condition, the will to prevail, overcoming all obstacles. Tell me, what would you do if your life as you knew it was drastically altered? Our guest will give you a profound reason to change your perspective on life, the life you have right now. Trisha Downing, a paraplegic athlete, the second female wheelchair racer, the first female paraplegic, paraplegic to complete an iron distance triathlon, and that means she had to swim 2.4 miles. Uh, she had a bike race of 112 miles and a 26.2-mile marathon run. Now, that's all in the same day. 
Uh, she's a member of the Physically Challenged National Triathlon, triathlon Team and a pioneer in women's wheelchair triathlons. She's a com- she was a competitive cyclist from 1997 to 2000. However, I will let her tell you her story from this point on. Please allow me to introduce to you Trisha Downing. Oh. Hello. How are you today? I'm doing well. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. I would like to thank you for joining us today. But before we we begin, I would like to ask you, how did your race go today? My race was awesome today. In fact, I um, got a personal best time and felt really good and fast and had a wonderful morning. Oh, great, great. Excellent, excellent. I mean, I uh, have competed for a large part of my life in um, sports, and I do understand. So you PR today, huh? I did. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, great. Now, getting back to you, I just want to go into your story because it is just so interesting. Can you tell us what happened to you on September 17th? 2000. Sure. Um, at the time, I was a um, competitive cyclist, and I had just completed a great summer season of racing around the country and um, had come back home and was making plans to, um, you know, do better and bigger things the next year. And so um, on September 17th, I was out on a ride with a friend in Colorado. He was visiting me from out of town, and we decided we'd go do some sightseeing. So I wanted to take him on one of the difficult rides that that my friends and I would do close to town, and that was climbing Lookout Mountain in Golden, Colorado. And um, after we climbed the mountain and we were coming back into Denver, there um, we were heading eastbound on a road called 32nd Avenue, and there was a car heading westbound, and that car got into its lane and um, made a left-hand turn across the side street that we were crossing. Um, Only we had the right-of-way and weren't expecting a car coming in our path. And I um, watched as my friend made a big swerving motion and actually got around the car. And as I realized that the car didn't see us, um, I went for the brakes on my bike and just didn't get to them quickly enough. And the front wheel of my bike hit the front bumper of the car, and I was launched off my bike and turned in midair, landing on the windshield of the car and oh. falling to the ground. Wow. So, um, when I hit the ground, I knew something was wrong because I couldn't feel my legs. It basically felt like my upper body was lying, contacting you know the pavement, but then my legs felt like they were just floating in midair. I had absolutely no sensation. Oh, my. Oh, my. Oh, my. Okay. Um, and then from that point going forward, you do you remember, you know, you were rushed to the hospital and so on and so forth? Were you conscious when you were laying on the ground? I was. I was conscious during the entire accident. So um, what happened was obviously the um, emergency um, vehicles came and the paramedics put a neck brace around my neck and put me on a backboard and took me to a local hospital. And that evening, um, the accident happened, I think it was around 6 o'clock in the evening. Um, So they, you know, of course, cut off my lycra cycling clothes, and uh, I had MRI, CAT scan, x-rays, all kinds of tests. And um, 
basically, at the end of all of that, they were able to um, kind of surmise that I had a spinal cord injury, that I had, I had shattered many of the vertebrae in my back, um, which in itself wouldn't have been a problem so much except that um, they damaged my spinal cord. So um, I ended up with a T4 spinal cord injury, which means the fourth thoracic vertebrae down, which is chest level. So basically I was paralyzed from the chest down. Oof. That, uh, that's tough. That's, that's really tough. Now, when you were given your diagnosis, how did you feel? I mean, it's, it's really hard for me to even begin to conceive that, but being given the diagnosis, what was your first thought? What was the first thing that came to mind? Um, you know, I think really it's one of those things that kind of sinks in over time. I mean, in the in the beginning, in the first, you know, days, I was um, mostly in just in pain, a lot of pain and kind of just shocked that the whole situation had happened and um, on a lot of medication, you know, pain medication. So it really, like, I didn't have a lot of long-term thoughts then, like, you know, how is this really going to affect my life? What does this mean to me? What's really happened? I mean, at the beginning, it's sort of like just making it moment to moment um, mm-hmm. and not, you know, just totally passing out because you're in so much pain. Mm-hmm. Um, so it really was something that kind of um, sunk in over time, and eventually, you know, it was like, oh, my gosh, you know, this is my life, and I'm never going to walk again, and I'm going to have to figure out how to, you know, live again. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I'm, in the beginning, I kind of pulled out from some of Shakespeare's and what I wanted the one little point I want to pull out right now is um, a part of that is whether it is nobler in the mind to suffer now for you mentally were were you suffering mentally because I know I would probably lose my mind if something like that were to happen to me what was I mean mentally what were all the different things the processes that you were going through um you know, it's, it's the same thing as I said before, and that mm-hmm. it kind of happened over time. So it was like, you know, some days I'd, I'd think, okay, I can handle this, I understand it, I can move on. And then other days, you know, it was shock and panic and, oh, my gosh, what am I going to do? And so it kind of went, you know, went back and forth. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and so it was like never the same thing twice. Um, but it was you know, something that I had to kind of wrap my head around and and think about. And, you know, for the first um, at least three and a half weeks, I was mostly just bedridden. There were a couple of times that um, the nurses were able to sit me up um, into more of a, like, recliner chair. Mm -hmm. Um, But I was in bed so much that it wasn't, you know, I had to heal my parts of my body that were going to heal first mm-hmm. before I could really think about, you know, being in a wheelchair or having my life be totally different. You know, it's like it's like one thing at a time. And, and the first thing was to get out of pain and mm-hmm. get, you know, I had broken my ribs, I'd broken my scapula. So those were things that needed to heal before I could even think about sitting up or being mobile or getting on with my life. Now, the big question is, where did you draw your strength from? Um, you know, I think I drew it from a lot of 
different places. And number one is my family and friends. I had um, a lot of great people around me who could help me. Um, and number two is I had a background working with athletes with disabilities. So I actually had some friends who were in wheelchairs, and they were very instrumental in, you know, calling me and kind of pepping me up and saying, you know, your life isn't over, you know, you can still do a lot of different things, you can do sports, you can have a job, you know. And so I had people telling me this, which um, was really fortunate for me because, you know, there were other people in the hospital that didn't have that kind of background and didn't have those mm -hmm. kinds of friends who had experienced this before, and I could tell a definite difference in my um, attitude and my morale. Just I had a better idea about what was coming in front of me, I think, than some of the other people who were in the hospital with me at the same time. Okay. Now, you wrote a book, and the book is titled Cycle of Hope, A Journey from Paralysis to Possibility. Yes. Now, I read the book, and I have to say it really changed me. Um, I, you know, you didn't just tell the story of the ordeal that led to your accident. You let us see inside your life, all aspects of your life leading up to the accident as well as the events afterwards. And you were so candid. For example, when you discussed your, um, um, when you discussed some of your fears and frustrations and the grief that you experienced and like when you uh, discussed some of your friends that you had before, for the accident who came to visit afterwards, they weren't really able to cope with and handle the new you, I can say it that way, as right. opposed to the person they knew before. And that really, you know, it really made you understand when sometimes you say, you you know, when situations really come down, you really find out who your real friends are. Definitely. And I was just so um, taken back. And the other part of the book that really, really um, just made me sit and think was you writing, you know, the writing the letters to the woman who um, caused the accident. Now, I don't know if I could have done that, it, you know, with such dignity. How did you feel after you were able to write the letter and see the letter that your friend had written as well? Um, well, you know, he and I were both coming from very different, you know, places mm -hmm. um, in our letters. I think his had a lot more anger in it. And, you know, I, I had, you know, it's like I, I was angry, obviously, at the situation, but it's also one of those things that, you know, it's happened. Mm -hmm. and, and being angry and spiteful and bitter, it doesn't help. It doesn't, it's not going to change anything. It's not going to do anything. And, I am typically a pretty, you know, positive, optimistic kind of person. Um, but at the same time, I did need her to know that my life had changed. And it mm -hmm. wasn't, you know, at the time, it wasn't the life that I had, you know, wanted or envisioned for myself. I mean, you know, you grow up and you think about getting married and having kids and the white picket fence. And, you know, like all of that was definitely just changed mm -hmm. um, after the accident. And so I felt I needed to let her know that, but I, you know, I didn't want to be completely vicious, but I wanted to kind of lay it on the line and say this is what has happened. Yes, I, I read the letter, and I was just saying this is she's done it in such a dignified manner, and I was just so impressed. Now, with writing the book, how did it feel reliving the events that changed your life when you wrote the book? Did you get, um, like, sometimes... 
we don't always have closure on certain situations. However, when we start to um, like go back over a situation, or in your case, write a book about the situation, does it help you find um, some kind of closure, or does it does it help you in any way? Um, you know, I think you know. I've been saying that I'm going to write this book for like six years now, and I think you know, back when I first started thinking about it, I wasn't really ready to do it. And mm-hmm. it just wasn't coming to me, and I wasn't sitting down and doing it, and the words weren't flowing. And but this time, when I sat down to write it, it just it all it really all just flowed out. And you know, looking at some of it, it was a little bit difficult, but I think I've gotten to the point where you know I'm at peace with what's happened, and I've moved on. Mm-hmm. Um, but then there were also some really great times. Like I have actually a lot of fond memories from. Um, being at Craig Rehabilitation Hospital because I had so many people around me and so many people pulling for me. And, you know, I just, like, every day I had friends coming by the hospital. And Mm -hmm. there's never another time in your life where your friends come over to your place every day and hang out and, you know, try to cheer you up and stuff. So I had, you know, I had a lot of fun times to think about and, you know, kind of ponder when I was writing the book. And mm-hmm. then also just to see how far I've come, like just to think in the beginning, I didn't even think I could sit up and sitting up was like this major ordeal. And then now to where I am doing the sports that I'm doing and working full time and having a very full life, mm-hmm. I mean, I've just come so far that I couldn't help but be kind of proud of myself. Well, most definitely, I mean, they're able-bodied people. I mean, everyone is pretty much able-bodied. But there are people out there who are, you know, not even willing to do all the things that you've done, and there's absolutely not no reason for it. Sure. Yeah, and that, you know, that in itself right there speaks volumes to your strength. And I think, do you think that maybe some of this strength came from the athletic side of you? For sure. I mean, definitely being an athlete my whole life, um, you know, athletics is basically facing different challenges um, every time you compete. And you go through times when you're really strong and doing really well, and then you go through competitions where you're um, faced with a bunch of adversity and you have to basically figure out how to get through it. And so I think um, this challenge was very much like, um, being in a competition or a race or whatever, it's like I you have to figure out step by step how you're mm-hmm. going to deal with each um, kind of roadblock that comes your way. And so I feel like having the background of an athlete was definitely instrumental in getting through the situation. So you had, well, it's like forming a master strategy for each point because each step was different, so you had to kind of figure out how to maneuver this particular step. Then once you have that mastered, then you moved on to the next step to be able to master that step and put it all together. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Now, you are more than an athlete. You are a keynote speaker, a camp director, and an accessibility consultant. You also have a camp called, what is it, Camp Discovery. Can you tell us about that? Sure. Um, Camp Discovery is um, for women who are 20 years and older who are in a wheelchair for um, any number of reasons. It could be an injury like what I had or an Mm -hmm. illness such as MS. Mm -hmm. Um, It could be a disability that they've had from birth. But it's 
It's for women who are looking for a way to sort of redefine themselves. And that um, I had to go through that whole process after I had my injury, kind of redefining um, my life and kind of reinventing who I was. Um, because I definitely, while I was the same person, I had a lot of different circumstances in my life. So um, this camp is an opportunity for a group of 10 to 15 women to get together um, and just kind of find out where their strengths are and what they're really capable of, but to do it in a supportive environment with other women who are in similar situations. And, you know, sometimes as a person um, with a disability, a person who uses a chair, um, you know, it, it's hard to relate on some levels to somebody who hasn't had that experience before. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, people are, of course, very empathetic and, you know, nice and helpful. And But if you haven't had this experience, sometimes it's nice to, to have somebody who has had it that you can, you know, talk to or relate to. And so um, this camp I designed um, for women to push themselves physically, mentally, and emotionally uh, in a supportive environment. So we do fitness activities like hand cycling and tennis and golf and swimming. Um, but we also do some, you know, work with a life coach and, mm-hmm. um, you know, some self-esteem and body image issues. And then we also have fun. We have some spa time, nails and massages and, and things like that. So uh, it's a great event. That's that sounds like a lot of fun, um, but it sounds like a very nurturing and um, embracing environment because I guess it's, you know, difficult for someone from the outside looking in, but I'm pretty sure that having to deal with different situations of that kind, you can feel kind of isolated, and to be able to find a, a place where you fit in and, you know, people understand is probably the most wonderful thing that could happen to an individual. So um, I have to say that is completely wonderful. But I wanted to ask you, this is a personal question I wanted to ask you. Now, how is it that you are able to do a triathlon? I did a marathon one time, and I don't ever want to do another one again. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm just amazed. I mean, the the swimming, the cycling, and the the twenty six point two. How do you do it? Um, well, really, it's um, kind of like anything else. You just have to work really hard and and want to do it. But um, I swim backstroke in the in the water, um, and obviously I don't kick, so I do a lot of pulling, and um, that just means that I have to have a very strong upper body to pull myself through the water without kicking. And then I ride a three-wheeled recumbent bicycle called a hand cycle, mm-hmm. and so I'm pedaling with my arm. It um, is very similar to a bike. You've got gears and chains and chain rings and cogs. and um, So I ride the hand cycle for the bike portion, and then for the run I use a racing chair, mm-hmm. um, and that's a little bit different than the bike because it doesn't have gears. So um, like when you get to a hill, you have to push harder. But, um, you know, it's just one of those things, like, it's it's like anything that you do athletic. I mean, there's skills and there's, you know, strength and endurance that you have to gain. And the more time you put into it, um, the more success that you can find that you get out of it. So um, I spend anywhere from 
five to 25 hours a week training, depending on how long of a race I'm training for. Wow. Um, and, you know, in the springtime, I gear up by doing a bunch of road races, usually mm-hmm. several marathons, which are a lot of fun. And um, then in the summer, I just do triathlons. Wow, that's really interesting. I, I think that's great. I know that um, you've run in New York City before. Did you do the New York City Marathon? Um, I didn't. I did the New York City Triathlon. Okay, okay. And you were in the Hudson River? I sure was. <laughs> you survived that. Wow, that's place. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, the thing about it for me is um, – when I was reading your book, and as I was reading through the various um, details, I noticed that at some point in the book you mentioned that some of your situations before the accident you feel were kind of like preparing you in some way for what was to come in your life. Uh-huh. Um, for instance, you had a friend who was a gymnast in college. Right. Yeah, and he had an accident. And... Um, you went to visit him, and you guys spent a lot of time talking. And he was your closest friend, and you spent a lot of time talking. And do you think that that, in the back of your mind, helped you to some degree with what you were going what you were going through when you went through it? Um, it definitely helped me because I had, you know, some experience watching somebody else go through that same situation, and I, um, it kind of showed me how just kind of how to act and how mm-hmm. to handle it um, with grace and. Um, just be able to get through it. Oh, that, you know, and I guess you know when you when you're going through life, you really don't know what the future holds for you. However, and you made me look and realize that every situation is in your life for a reason. Yes. And you know that's the amazing part. You never really understand how or why, but everything yes. happens for a reason. And when you get to a point, you'll be like, oh. I have something to refer to, which is which is great. And I'm like, okay, now I have to be a little bit more mindful of my life and my actions so that I don't overlook situations. And whenever a, another opportunity comes up, I need to just take advantage of it and embrace it and hold on to it and enjoy it. Definitely. Yes, and that's what your story did for me. Now, what would you like for people to take away from your story when they read your book? Um, you know, I think just that when bad things happen, they're they're usually, hopefully, always, you know, something good that comes out of it too. I mean, and that's kind of what I try to realize in my in my daily life. Like, if something bad happens to me, I think, you know, what's one good thing that I can get out of the situation? And that way, you know, the bad things that happen don't seem quite as bad if you can kind of turn them around and see any sort of bright side to them. And um, with my accident, yes, it's, you know, it's a difficult thing. It's not, you know, your ideal life. It's not what you wanted to have happen. But at the same time, I have done some amazing things that I would never have done before. Um, You know, I'm sure I wouldn't have written a book or, competed internationally or, you know, gone to places and done the things that I've done. So I've really had a lot of good things that have happened to me as a result of the accident. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so you just kind of have to be able to look at all sides of a situation and not just see the bad things that happen. Mm-hmm. So don't look at the immediate stuff. Look at the whole picture. Right. 
that's that's something I'm going to kind of hold on to because I have a tendency of um, looking at what's going on right now as opposed to the whole big picture. Um, if someone wanted to get in contact with you, what's the best way? How would they be able to contact you? Um, if you go to my website, which is www.trishdowning.com, there is a link to get in touch with me. Okay, great. That is excellent. Now, I would like to recommend that people go out and get the book because it's a really good book. And, I mean, I read the book and I read it twice because it was really interesting for me to see and understand um, how, you know, today your life could be one way and tomorrow or maybe even two hours later it can be something completely different. And your book helps show you how you can be able to kind of handle the changes that come in your life and handle them with grace, as you so eloquently said it earlier. And, and you know, and know that life goes on. It just doesn't stop because something has changed, but it goes on. And I really appreciate the fact that you wrote the book, and I'm really grateful to have you on the show. Thank you very much for having me. You're quite welcome. So, um as she said, if you want to get in contact with her, um, it's www.trishdowning.com. And the book is called, uh, it's called uh, Cycle of Hope, the journey, a journey from, I'm sorry. Paralysis to Possibility. Okay, Paralysis to Possibility. Okay. And you can get it um, through Amazon. Or I got it through Barnes and Nobles. And um, I want to thank you again because we've come to the end of our time. And I will definitely be in contact with you because you can give me some training advice. (laughs) 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 Because I want to get back out there. But, oh, man, I just need some serious training advice. So um, I will definitely talk to you again soon. And I want to thank you again. And uh, for everyone, that's our show for today. I would like to thank everyone for um, calling in and listening in to the show. I hope you all have a wonderful day, and please join me next week at 12 noon for Paradigm Shifters. Have a good one. Thanks. Goodbye. That's our show for today. So until next time, keep it real, listen, learn, and live. That's our show for today. So until next time, keep it real, listen, learn, and live.